Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. In the Gospel for this weekend, Jesus has finally made his way to Jerusalem. He knows it is here that his destiny lies, that in the matter of just a few days or a few weeks, he will experience his passion and death. And the forces that have posed him for the past three years in his ministry, and there have been many, are now closing in on him. Jesus, in the Gospel for today, confronts a group of people. They're very focused on one thing, for the destruction of Christ himself. Now, it's interesting. This group is made up of two forces, the Pharisees as well as the Herodians. Now, the Pharisees we've been hearing about, they have been the ones that have been sharply critical of Jesus, constantly challenging him, scholars of the law. But the Herodians, now they're new. They just come onto the scene. So who are they? Well, by their very name, they tell us who they are. They are supporters of King Herod. Now realize, King Herod is a puppet governor, established or propped up by the Roman Empire. Now this was a common practice amongst the Roman Empire. When they went out and conquered a land or a nation or a city or village, before they left it to continue on to conquer more areas of land, they would set up their own puppet government, a regime that they themselves controlled. Well, Herod is just that. He is, yes, the king of Jerusalem and parts of Judea and Israel, but mostly it is the Roman Empire that truly reigns or is king of Israel. Now, the Herodians are simply supporters of King Herod. We would refer to them as collaborators. They're ones that are helping the Romans oppress the very Israelites themselves. Now, this is very significant for us to understand. The Pharisees and the Herodians for years and years had a bitter hatred for each other. Remember, the Pharisees are loyal and patriotic Jews. They hate the Romans. The Romans are simply occupying their country. They're their oppressors. Worse yet, the Pharisees hate any Jew that helps the Romans. Well, that's exactly what the Herodians are doing. They're collaborators with the Romans. So, for many, many years, the Herodians and the Pharisees have hated each other very much. The Herodians have loyalty to the Roman Empire. The Pharisees, on the other hand, have loyalty to the country of Israel. And yet, both of these bitter enemies are willing to lay down their differences in order to fight together an even greater enemy. Who is that? Well, Jesus Christ. So that's why they combine forces now. They come to try and conspire a trap, set a trap for Jesus so as to be able to charge him with something and then to kill him. Now notice how it starts. They say, teacher, we know that you are a truthful man and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. What are they doing right here? Or they're using flattery. 
to try and catch Jesus off guard. Essentially, they're buttering him up. And then they ask that question, is it lawful to pay the census tax? Now, in Jesus' time, religion and politics were very closely connected. You could say intertwined with each other. Therefore, this was an incredibly volatile question to ask. And yet, it was the perfect trap. Why? Because this census tax was a great source of acrimony amongst all the Israelites that paid it. Realize that part of this tax went to the very army that was oppressing and occupying the Israelites. It went to the Roman soldiers to billet them, feed them, and pay them their salaries. The rest of the tax went directly to Rome as tribute to Caesar. The Israelites saw no benefit from these taxes. Now, we pay our taxes, local, state, federal taxes, property taxes. They go for roads and schools and different things. They benefit us. But for the Israelites, this tax did not benefit them at all. It benefited only the Romans. The Israelites are living under this suppression. Therefore, it's only natural that they're going to hate their occupiers. Now, if Jesus answers yes, we should support this tax and pay it, well, then he supports the Romans. Now he can be labeled as a sympathizer, a collaborator. He's not a good patriarch, a good Jew. If he answers no, we shouldn't pay the tax. It's not lawful. Well, he is a good patriot, but he's against the Roman Empire. Now it can be looked upon as an agitator, an enemy of the state of Rome, and it's guilty of treason. And so it appears either way, regardless of how Jesus answers this question, some religious or political group will have opposition to him. It appears to be the perfect trap. He just can't win. He's between a rock and a hard place. Now notice how Jesus answers this question. Pay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and pay to God what belongs to God. It's a very, very clever answer, and yet very clear, too. And yet, this response has opened up debate and interpretation throughout the centuries by scripture scholars. Now, it first appears that Jesus is implying that there is a clear demarcation line between church and state that there is a clear separation and distinction between religion as well as state politics. Now, we could easily come to that conclusion, sure, but take it to a deeper level. St. Thomas Aquinas, when reflecting upon this gospel, he said, we are citizens of two cities. First, the city of this world, and then the city of God, heaven. Now, does that mean we have to straddle both cities? Does that mean we can live within harmony within both or constantly jumping from one to the other to the other? Well, Thomas Aquinas would say, yes, both are in harmony with each other. Neither are in opposition to each other because they were both created by God. Therefore, politics, the economy, healthcare, the stock market, our laws, art, architecture, all, yes, have a legitimate function in our society and in this world. We recognize there are people that are skilled and competent in these particular areas. Okay, that's good. That means we render to Caesar what is Caesar. We all have a profession, whether it's a lawyer, doctor, nurse, whether it's a technician, plumber, whether it's an electrician, regardless of what is, you do that profession. You render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. 
Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But what belongs to God? Everything, everything in this world, politics, the economy, the stock market, healthcare, art, architecture, and everyone. And I would argue, even including Caesar himself, belongs to God. Therefore, there is no clear demarcation line between God and all the things of this world. Now, granted, all the things of this world in our society have a legitimate function for our society function, whether it's laws, the economy, healthcare, whatever it is. Yet they all belong to and should fall under the influence and the formation of God and God's values. Great example of this. Go to the first reading. Here we are coming right into the middle of a story, so it's hard to understand. King Cyrus is the king of Persia. He didn't know it, but he's being used as an instrument of God's grace to do God's will. And the Israelites recognized that, that Cyrus operated to fulfill God's plan. Now, what's really going on? Well, King Cyrus is the king of Persia, which is the neighboring nation right next to the Babylonians. In the first reading, the Israelites are living as slaves in Babylon to the Babylonians. Well, after a while, King Cyrus raises up an army and he goes out and he battles the Babylonians and he defeats them. Knowing that the Israelites are slaves, King Cyrus then after the battle turns to the Israelites and says, go home, you're free. Well, King Cyrus was operating under God's influence and under God's designs. So he gave to God what belonged to God. Now, why is this important for us? Well, we here in the United States, we pride ourselves in that demarcation line. There is a line between church and politics. Great example of this is Thomas Jefferson. He once wrote, we should tolerate religion as long as it is privatized. What he meant by that is we can hold to Christianity in the privacy of our own heart, but don't bring it out in the public. Well, are you kidding me? Again, we render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. There's nothing wrong with that. All things in our society, in this world, have a legitimate role, a function. And yet, all should be informed and influenced by God and God's values. Yes, healthcare, art, the stock market, politics, our laws, they all have a legitimate role. And yet, they should be informed and influenced by God's values. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the Pope should be in charge of the United Nations. I'm not saying that the bishops should be in charge of the stock market. I'm not saying the priest should be in charge of our healthcare industry. No, because that's outside of the realm of their competency. There are more competent people to do those things. But Christian values should always be forming and influencing all aspects of our society, whether it's politics, the economy, whether it's the stock market, healthcare, art, architecture. Now you say to yourself, well, how does this apply to me? Well, first and foremost, you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, which means what? Well, say for example, you're in law enforcement. You work as a police officer, a judge, a lawyer. You work as a secretary in the county courthouse. Well, regardless, you work in law enforcement. Well, now you enforce those laws. Enforce them with no partiality, equally for all people. 
See, now you are giving to God what belongs to God. Say you have a profession in academics. You're a teacher, you work in administrative offices in a school, you're a secretary in a high school or college. Okay, well, now you teach the truth. You don't teach your opinion or your bias. You teach the truth. Now you have rendered to God what belongs to God. Say you work in healthcare, whatever your profession may be, a nurse, a technician, a surgeon, whatever it is. Well, now you help and you heal all people. You don't discriminate. Regardless of their socioeconomic background, you heal all people. Well, now you have given to God what belongs to God. See, whatever we do, whether we're an electrician, whether we're a plumber, police officer, secretary, teacher, whatever it is, if our life is formed and influenced by God's values, then we always give to God what belongs to God. Whatever our profession may be, it should be shaped, informed, and influenced by Christian values, faith, hope, and love, prudence, patience, and charity. Why? Because all those values were embodied by Jesus Christ. And see, that's what Jesus is trying to teach us in this gospel. Yes, we can give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. We all have a legitimate function and role that we play in society. And that's good. That's what makes our society and our world great. But we should always recognize whatever we do, whatever profession, it should always be influenced and informed by God's values. See, when that happens, then we will always give to God what belongs to God. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.